0: Welcome to Cinebabble, episode eighty-six. I am your host Ken, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Screen Actors Guild president and former star of beloved hit sitcom The Nanny, Clint Jones. Clint, uh, tell the world hello. Man, I'm 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 doing great here, Ken. Good, good. I'm, I'm here with you. I know. Um, mm-hmm. Hello, world. I I skipped that part. Good. Um, I you have to tell the world hello. Did you know that Fran Drescher is the president of the Screen Actors Guild? Oh really? I know. Yeah. I saw yeah. that she is doing a lot of press in everything. Very, very angry press. Yeah, and it's it's kind of delightful because it, within her voice you can tell she used to be the nanny, <laughs> but but now she's you know leading this entire guild of actors who you know, I I think are rightfully striking. Yeah. How do you feel about all the strikes, Clint? This has not happened a dual strike uh, of the actors and the writers since nineteen something something.
1: I'm I'm angry because it's really going to get in the way of me having great entertainment. That's really what
0: I feel. So the selfish route, yes, very nice. No, very nice. Uh,
1: I think it's <laughs> oh, it's justified. I mean, I definitely think that they should have the rights to all their likenesses for AI. Um, Seriously,
0: did you hear that? <laughs> like one of the the sticking points is that studios want to take extras. Scan their digital likenesses, pay them for one day uh, of appearing yeah. as an extra and then just using their likeness in the background of that. And I guess any film perpetually mm-hmm. it was ridiculous. <laughs> it, it. It just it it defies belief.
1: Sounds like a good plan, a very good money making
0: plan. Anyway. Sounds like a very good plan if you were trying to add an extra episode to Black Mirror season six.
1: Yeah, or just you be know, the just biggest. Sounds like... Or be the biggest villain yeah, ever. Pretty yeah, much. Yeah.
0: yeah, Uh and and I don't understand why studios allow this stuff to go to strike. It makes no sense to me because the the demands never seem unreasonable. Right. Uh, it seems like uh, as as union strikes go, not that most aren't, but These are just people that want to work, and it's comprised largely of people who are not multimillionaires and uh, just trying to get by in, in their chosen career. Would you be a scab? What yes. <laughs> I knew you, I knew it. <laughs> yes, I would I would not cross the picket lines. I would cross the picket lines going the other way and I would star in all the movies. I'd be like, "Hi studios. Here's my likeness. hire me. Here's my, Here's my likeness." My likeness. Taking- and you would be watching a, a crowded mall scene in it's every all digital <laughs> extra in the background. They just it's do different just
1: like hair and makeup
0: yep, on you yep, like you have yep. a stash in a lot of It would be them. like
1: Grand Grand Theft Auto 3. <laughs> <laughs> Where
0: And really just have a few uh, models that they roll through. But I hope uh, a couple of them are your Australian yeah, accent. Yeah. And Variety would write about me and every actor would hate me, but I wouldn't care because I would make all the money. I'd famous. take the George Clooney money and the Brad Pitt money mm-hmm. and the... Uh, you know I'm i would love you love to see you like
1: filling all those roles <laughs> like i would love the next mission impossible that you are no, doing no, no, all no, these no. stunts
0: oceans 14 <laughs> where where i am every uh, yeah. you know every member of the team i think that would be delightful <laughs> and horrifying you. and uh you know hey more power to the actors no, i'd see it oh, i'm i'm glad that the my... studios <laughs> would make $7 <laughs> In Western Maryland, Clint, what you been watching about? What you what you watching about? What you watching about, Clint?
1: What what eyes you've been
0: watching about? <laughs> is um, one day I will say it correctly. I, I don't feel like I ever. We came up with it. We've done it since episode one. You yeah. s- you would think that at this point, as professionals, we would really have ironed it out. But no, no,
1: ah. Uh, What's being professional anyway? Why?
0: What's what's the point?
1: Um, I have been going through on Criterion. They they put up this um, really great collection of all of uh, these films based around the concept of AI. Mm. Um, it's a really fun collection of things like like varying in from time periods and from um you know straight horror sci-fi to more comedic stuff to some shorts and things. Um the first thing that I want to talk about and this is a film that I've been circling for a long time because it has constantly popping up on these Uh, like podcasts that I would listen to that are like kind of like good, bad movies Mm -hmm. that are just like kind of, you know, like The Room or something Mm -hmm. like that. And this movie is called Zardoz from Mm -hmm. 1974. With Sean Connery in
0: quite the the outfit (laughs) without any body shaving.
1: Well, why would you ask that of him? He's a lot of hair. He's a lot of man and he wants to show (laughs) it off. And yes, he is in a
0: (laughs) red like tunic like um it, it looks like something straight out of Borat or yeah. something that uh what's his face would wear yeah yeah
1: and he's wearing knee high boots <laughs> and he is it has this glorious ponytail and mm-hmm. like handlebar mustache and he's just like in the best dad bod shape that you can imagine like Sean Connery mm-hmm. at like it's, it's funny when you think that time period that was being in shape for yeah. a film yeah um, now you look at all the uh, superhero movies Movies and you have to be like um, a marble statue of a man, but um, this is like putting aside his look and a lot of the looks of the people because I mean this is from the seventies. Yeah. There was there's some really great ideas in this film, really, and this is like we've talked about in the past movies that would be a good candidate to be remade. Mm-hmm. And I think this would be, like, if somebody took this world, like, really seriously and, like, had a really strong design um, aesthetic for, you know, every every aspect of it, um, the central ideas of this are really fun. And I... I highly recommend watching it without maybe watching it. Like listen to the ideas at the center of it because there's some really cool stuff like sci-fi ideas and um, like different things that I haven't seen about like utopia societies um, that haven't been touched on in like as much. And um, it's it's a cool film. I I definitely think it's hard to get past his look, but (laughs) it's cool. It's a good video.
0: And and that's I've seen so many screenshots of that yeah. and so many different things over the years that it just I've 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 always been leery of approaching it.
1: Yeah, and I can understand that, but like, man, like there's some great You know, practical effects stuff from that time period, like the Zardoz godhead that shows up is amazing. Hmm. It's like such a strong, great visual. Okay, in that whole idea around that uh, of the society creating this god to kind of like tame the masses that Mm are um that are outside of their utopian society, it's pretty fun.
0: Okay, yeah. Uh, First thing I watched was uh, one of the Warner animated DC comic uh movies which i haven't watched in a long 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 time i mm-hmm. used to review them all the time but this is the first one i've caught in a while uh and it was the lovecraft angle that drew me in mm. it's called batman the doom that came to gotham oh okay and it's a, it's a completely kind of elseworld's tale um and not that it's perfect but this was actually really good and fun and uh seemed much more interested in kind of hewing to Lovecraft lore and adapting Lovecraft into Batman than it was adapting Batman into Lovecraft, if mm. that makes sense. And so the the Batman stuff was was almost peripheral to what's otherwise a, a pretty good take over the world Cthulhu cultists, here come the dark gods uh, kind of Lovecraft thing. Hmm. Uh, and again, it's it's not you know incredible and stellar and all those things. I'm not you know begging people to go race out and watch it but it's on hbo max or max or whatever it's called now yeah and uh it was just it was a it was a it was a tight little hour and a half watch um that had some cool stuff in it and i'm a sucker for lovecraft so yeah yeah um i i liked that the the super heroics were really minimized uh and and they just wanted to tell a good uh kind of cosmic horror story Mm. um and they don't again it's it's nothing mind blowing it's not like something you haven't seen before. It's just Lovecraft done well, yeah, and the animation allows them to do some things that in live action would have not worked or would have required a two hundred million dollar budget <laughs> so it was it was good fun. There's a lot of those that pop up, and I'm
1: always slightly curious about them, but then just skip them yeah, yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah it. I'm I'm very choosy, and I've I've gotten into a pattern where I'll watch 10 15 minutes and if it's just not doing it yeah uh you know I'll I'll check out of it for something like that
1: The next thing I watched was also in that collection okay. um and this is a movie we're well familiar with it but I hadn't watched it in quite a while and this is AI from 2001 by Steven Spielberg um with Haley Joel Osment yeah yeah and Jude Law. And we saw this together in the theater when it came out. When it when it released yeah. in theaters, yeah, long yeah, long time, yeah. And we were really excited to see it because, I mean, it's based on a story that Kubrick was um, was putting together, and it was a lost thing, the project that he
0: never got to do, and then Spielberg took up the mantle on it. Yeah, and if I recall, he had he had gotten to casting, he had gotten to production design and mm. everything when when he. Died, and so a lot of it was sort of just Spielberg picking it up and and walking over the finish line. Yeah, uh, with it, I um I
1: can definitely see that there's probably more of an influence than you think from Spielberg. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do remember that 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 you can see the 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 Kubrick touches that are, you know tracing throughout the thing mm-hmm. and like the bones of it but like it's it gets kind of like a little too sentimental and smolty throughout at different points but i will say like just watching it again um Haley joel osmond is fantastic in this film like he's this perfect amount of like playing this the character is creepy but also like kind of heart wrenching where mm-hmm. you really care for him, but he like on a dime just in looks that he can make. And I don't understand, like he he pops up now and then like kind of more in comedic roles. And maybe that's just what he's interested in. But I would love to see if somebody took him on as a more
0: serious yeah. character. Yeah. Like cause he's a great actor. I really think it's it's just surface level aesthetic. Uh I I think when he was a kid He looked like a really interesting kid actor. And when he aged, he just he looks like a normal adult. Yeah. He doesn't have that kind of star pop that that studios look for. And I'm not saying you're wrong or that, you know, somebody can do amazing things with him. I think once a talent, always a talent. I just think when they go and they look for somebody that's gonna draw people into audiences, they look at somebody that looks average and they just they they move on past.
1: I but I think he could fit really well into like that indie world of like like just steady character work where he's yeah. he could be a central role but like it's more interesting films that um isn't relying on this you know s- person who looks like a star yeah. like the in the traditional sense that we're used to like yeah. cuz there's so many great like character actors like that um who are, who works steadily. And, but maybe he just, he likes to do it for fun and and like, it's more an enjoyable thing. And he just picks roles that are amusing to him. But uh, uh, anyway, that's, it's kind of a side tangent, but the movie still is, um, there's some really strong moments in it. I still really wish that it cut a half hour sooner at the end. Like there's a half hour that's like, I would love to just see it like and I always am tempted to just turn it off. Yeah. At the moment where he's just sitting or at the bottom silk. of the ocean, that would be the like Credits. most like heart-wrenching like I don't know, but also satisfying ending to me. Yeah. Um but it still it still holds up and it's um has a lot of really it's like at that point where they're, they're using uh, practical effects and digital intermingled in a great way where they're, you know,
0: um computer effects are just, you know, hiding seams and things. I, I watched it a few years back, and I remember thinking uh, the same thing you did about the the Kubrick-Spielberg balance. Yeah. And it's, it's just that visually it has a lot of Kubrick to it, but then the tone of it, you can feel Spielberg pulling yeah. it away from what Kubrick would have done. I, I picture Kubrick doing that very icy, uh, very uh, emotion-adjacent. Yeah, uh, kind of things with the characters, uh, where it would have been really interesting to see somebody like Haley Joel Osment, uh flanked by other people that were in that same kind of mode. Yeah, uh, I feel like he would have made a comment on uh, just just through his actor's performances. I think there would have been more of a comment on there being even less of a difference between this little robot boy and these people that think that they're they're superior because they're human
1: yeah, uh, yeah when in
0: reality they're just organic machines yeah i, I, I think there would have been a lot of that
1: i think also that probably the moments where like he is kind of thrust out into the world in the danger of the real world mm-hmm. like would have probably felt a little bit more dangerous yeah. and i also the first half hour of this film mm-hmm. i think just the first half hour and the last, last half hour should have been, I don't know, the first half hour just drags on. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's still good. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh, I started watching on MGM Plus uh, this series that's gotten a lot of buzz, or at least I've, I've seen a lot of press about, and it's called From, mm. and it has a, what's his face, that played Michael on Lost. Oh, okay. And I knew it was a mystery box show, and I was I was itching for a mystery box show, uh, just something where you're in a weird world and you're trying to figure out the rules of it and how it works. The premise is great; it's about this town. ...that people accidentally stumble into and they can't get out of. Mm. It sort of loops them on the edges and keeps keeps them inside of the town. Like Schmigadoon. Uh, like Schmigadoon, <laughs> except <laughs> instead Less of musicals. <laughs> uh, this is something where there are these creatures that come out at night. Mm. And you can put this talisman up in your home. And as long as you keep the windows shut and you don't let these things in, you're fine but if by chance these things get in mm-hmm. you're done. And so it's just about this this diverse group of people trying to survive. It is super Stephen Kingy. Yeah. Stephen King's a big fan of it. That's one of the reasons he he's written about it. And so that's one of the reasons I went and checked it out. It it has a lot of really good stuff. But it has that feeling of a network Stephen King show. And again, it has nothing to do with Stephen King. It's just yeah. it feels that that yeah. kind of thing. But it feels a lot like that Under the Dome series mm-hmm. as far as casting and acting quality and, and the scripts. And it just – it's it's disappointing because it has such great ideas to it. Um, I, I don't even know if I'm going to keep watching it much further because I'm yeah. – it's one of those series where I'm completely hooked by the ideas mm-hmm. and the premise, but I'm really turned off by having to sit through and wait for uh, what's going to happen next. Yeah. Uh, because I've just got to sit with these semi-decent actors with terrible scripts and just <laughs> wait for them to hurry things along. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if you like a good mystery box show and you're, you're not real picky, uh, from the uh, maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Clint would say it's fine. Yeah, it's it's fine. it's fine. Yeah.
1: Um, another one in that collection that I've gone through, and this was the first one I started with, was Dark Star by John Carpenter.
0: Mm. Yeah,
1: and um, old flick. That's very 76? old, it's something like that. Something yeah. like that. I think it's like it was kind of his student film that he mm-hmm. started with and then like continued on with.
0: Um, I I would say it does not hold up. <laughs> I've seen clips of it. I do not doubt your word on that one.
1: It is interesting to see a starting point for him, mm-hmm. like where he began and like things that he was kind of interested in at that point yeah. in his career, but as a story it doesn't really make sense and the characters are pretty bland or non like they're just guys kind of like space truckers. Mm-hmm they're going around blowing up planets for some reason or other mm-hmm. there's a large sequence in the middle that's probably 20 minutes long where the one character has this like pet on the on like the, the sh-
0: little robot dog thing
1: no oh. this pet is a and he's keeping in this room the other characters do not care for it and it it looks like a giant beach ball with rubber glove monster hands glued to it. And it's spray painted with dots. And this thing gets out of the room. Mm-hmm. And there's a good 20 minutes where he's just chasing it around the ship trying to get it back in. And this thing kind of like outsmarting him and like trapping him in areas. It kind of lost me at that point. The music playing the whole time, like. (laughs) It would kind of make more sense (laughs) if that was the case. Um, But, I mean, if you want to see where John Carpenter started and that it's kind of interesting, but as a
0: movie, I don't think it holds up. Uh, The last thing I watched uh, is a little flick called The Blackening. Mm. Uh, Have you heard about this? Just from you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so The Blackening takes a very simple premise, uh, which is just uh, there are some uh, African-American characters, uh, young, getting away for the weekend. They are all old friends, uh, but there's some you know tension there for different reasons. They all converge on this cabin, and they find this super racist board game in the basement. <laughs> and this super racist board game traps them in the room and starts this process by which they have to answer super racist questions uh, or one of them will die, mm-hmm. uh, and it it has a little bit of that. It has a little bit of uh, actual home invasion killers stalking them, and for for all intents and purposes, this movie should be terrible. <laughs> this movie is so sharp and funny. It reminds me of like that first time I watched the original Scream, mm. and it was just it's operating on a different level. I'm not saying the movie is incredible. Uh, again, middle-aged white guy watching something called The Blackening. Uh, Almost you know, seems like it shouldn't be allowed. A little bit, a little <laughs> bit. And it felt that way at times because there were times I would laugh and then I would think to myself, wait, does that mean I'm racist or does that mean I'm woke? It was very confusing. But uh, once you shut that off, it's just, it's very clever. It's its very satirical. It has a lot to say about uh, some, some very timely uh, subjects. And it was it's just, uh, it was fun. Yeah. Uh does every bit of it hold up? No. Um, but you know, for for what it was, I was I was kind of shocked at at how much I uh really thoroughly enjoyed this thing. And nice. so uh, you know, give it a shot once it's free somewhere, uh, and see if you feel racist. But uh <laughs> it's a it's just a fun little flick. I always feel racist. If you are not middle aged and white, better chance of, of really getting the most out of this movie. But uh, you know. I just I don't know. I thought it was great. Cool. Great is strong. You enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. That's yeah, good. I thought it was a great time. Yeah, yeah. It's a good flick. That's a great cool. time. Good that flick. is a good
1: uh differentiation there because there there can be a movie that's just yeah. it feels like a great time. I yeah. enjoyed
0: it a lot, but maybe isn't great. Yeah. Well, today we are talking about three flicks. We are talking about Wes Anderson's Asteroid City, which is his most recent. We're talking about 1977's Demon Seed. Another uh, one. Which was a part of the AI uh, collection that you recommended to me or you just mentioned watching. So I went and checked out. And then our Cinetron pick from 2017, Lemon. But let's start with Asteroid City. Asteroid City stars all the actors from Hollywood. (laughs) uh, Scarlett Johansson, Maya Hawke, Jason Schwartzman, Sophia. Bill Lillis, Margot Robbie, Tom Hanks, Tony Revolori, uh, who else do we got? Uh, Adrian Brody's in there. Rupert Friend. Brian Cranston. Uh, yup. Edward Norton. Steve um, Carell. Steve Carell. Tilda Swinton. Uh, Matt Dillon. Jeff Goldblum. Uh, appears as if from nowhere. Hope Davis. Jeffrey uh, Wright. On and on and on. And there's so many people in this movie. Liv Schreiber. Liv Schreiber. Uh, is in here. He's Hong a lot Chao. of fun. Uh, everybody is... Obviously having a blast. They're a blast to watch. Here's the plot. World-changing events spectacularly disrupt the itinerary of a junior stargazer space cadet convention in an American desert town circa 1955. That's also what the trailers show. But to be fair, from the beginning, I, I do wish, I'll say this up front, that I wish I would have had a little more clue as to what the plot of this movie actually was. Yeah. There's actually two stories occurring kind of three almost a a kind of three there is a production of a play called asteroid city
1: there's a television production yes of of documenting the creation of this thing that's also done in a play style
0: that is (laughs) imagine Birdman uh if it was about you know instead of the production they were doing if it was it was this production of this this play called Asteroid City. And then you're also flashing over that, always in black and white. So it's at least you know visually, uh, you're able to differentiate. But then it hops over to uh, the actual story. And this is not just a bookend thing. It, it hops back and forth and it really makes uh, both stories or all three stories, however you wanna put it, uh, kinda have equal importance. And I, I just wanna say at the beginning I wish I would have known that yeah. because I would have gone into it I think um with a different mindset of how I was viewing it the first time. Yeah. But uh Clint, I suspect that's also where you were at cuz you wanted to watch this a second time after watching it once. What did you think of Asteroid City?
1: Well, Jenny and I are big Wes heads. We follow him around the country like fish. Um, so we got to see every th- one of his films mm-hmm. uh, opening weekend uh, or as close as possible. Mm-hmm. So we went to the theater in our town and- um, Not even the good theater. Not even, we were that devoted to seeing this that yeah. we didn't even go to the good theater, yeah. which in hindsight, that theater isn't as bad as I thought. <laughs> yeah. No, they, they've done some. They, it kind of feels like an arcade now, yes. but um, it's it's fine. It's a regal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I wish I kind of went in with more information, but then I don't know how that would have affected me um, because I walked away from this film not knowing how I felt about it Mm -hmm. because I, especially after French Dispatch, I was kind of hoping for a more straight narrative film from him Mm -hmm. that wasn't, um, you know, broken up into multi-layered parts. Um, I don't know, maybe that was selfish of me, but I... um, so I wasn't sure how I felt about the behind the scenes making of stuff because like what you were saying, I didn't feel it was given equal opportunity to, um, you know, give enough weight to that side of the story. And so I just, it almost felt not like an afterthought, but just like, I wish it had more time in the film for me to care because there's, in that part of it the most emotional uh, impacting parts of that film are in those sections yes. but it is played in a way and um that almost feels like it's not meant to be or it's and it's up against this other side of the story this very technicolor beautiful world that like that he's he's showing that it almost it feels um It gets lost to me. It got lost to me. So that was why when I walked away, I was like, either I, I'm not, there's layers I'm not getting and I know I'm not getting it. Um, Do I want to get them? Like, is it, there are actually enough there that I want to get, get what everything he's saying? Um, Or do I like, just, am am I kind of growing out of Wes Anderson a little (laughs) bit? But I don't think that's that's true. I, I think he's growing in a way as an artist that maybe I just need to catch up a bit, <laughs> but I don't know. So I, I wanted to see it again. And I will say it definitely helped. And, and I read quite a few very positive reviews of it mm-hmm. um, that kind of helped too, breaking it down and... Um, Pointing out some key moments that I just kind of overlooked. Yeah, and I, I'd like to get into not not now, but when at some point in this discussion, more spoilery stuff that we can kind of get in, into those moments that really help me kind of feel the emotional impact of the film. Uh, but besides that, I will say, um, just the 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 brush that he's painting with within the actual world of asteroid city in in the play um is beautiful and i feel like he's continuously pushing this very dollhouse um world that he's he constructs further and further and it gives it new elements every time and uh there there's moments in it that are some of my favorite Wes Anderson moments in and like beautiful shots like the opening sequence when they go they're in they go into the play which is the actual main um, set of this story it's so quiet and like just he lets you sit in it and get used to mm-hmm. the set of it and i i thought that was really affecting and i and i love that um
0: so anyway, what did you think of this, Kim? I had a similar experience. Um, for me, I I think part of it is that I am not. I think we've we've talked before that people who uh, just kind of take Wes Anderson and uh, reduce him down to oh, he just does the same thing every time. Yeah, I I actually think he has two major tracks. I think on the one track. You have this uh, very joyous, zany uh, quirk, and that is your Bottle Rocket, Rushmore, Royal Tenenbaums, Life Aquatic, uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox, and Grand Budapest Hotel, Isle of Dogs. And then in the other track, you have something where he's playing with minimalism, and he's playing with colder characters and flatter characters, and he's allowing uh some some very minute things in the performances and the script mm-hmm. to do a lot of heavy lifting uh and that's you know for me asteroid city French dispatch uh moonrise kingdom is one of those Darjeeling limited uh those are movies that are they're already thematically darker and heavier, but it seems like he withdraws from the emotional punch mm-hmm of those themes, and and he resides somewhere where, I I haven't quite put my finger on the purpose behind it. It just the the director who is doing things like Rushmore up through Isle of Dogs, especially Grand Budapest, feels like a very different director than the director that does French Dispatch and Asteroid City. I feel like movies like French Dispatch and Asteroid City are almost a commentary on filmmaking and storytelling. This one definitely is. Right, yeah. whereas whereas the the things like Grand Budapest are just him having fun telling a story. But that one also
1: plays with like structure in as far as like the, the story, like yeah. like in how he's playing with story as far as the writer yeah. who, who is writing about a time in his life where he interviewed this guy and looking back yeah. fondly,
0: like that's playing with the the structure of it too. And almost the same way this is. Yeah. It's just for that one, it feels much more like a framework, almost like bookends. Yeah. Here, here's just the framework we're presenting this story. Whereas this, the thing I really struggled with my, my first time through was so much time was being devoted to the black and white production of asteroid city that i knew that he was trying to make more of a connection between these two storylines than i was getting yeah the second time through i feel like i i understood it more uh it's it's really about this production who is trying to figure out things about humanity and and themselves through this production, mm-hmm. and so when you watch asteroid the asteroid city segments, as these actors exploring themselves and the human condition through these characters, it starts to I think uh, be more cohesive. Yeah, but even then, I didn't know. Like is that what he intended, or is that just what my brain has found that allows me to to join those two halves together? Let's let's actually go ahead and get into spoilers, yeah. Because I'm I'm curious what your what your kind of moments you mentioned were. Uh, so again, if if you haven't watched Asteroid City yet, uh, let's let's just I I think it's a it's a great film. I I don't know that I enjoyed it at the level it deserves because I still don't feel like. I found my emotional inroad to it.
1: I had a few moments that got me there towards the end, but Mm -hmm. I still I'm kind of there with you, where like I feel like that the whole like documenting production angle, the television show about Mm -hmm. the making, I still feel disconnected from a lot of that, and I and I think it is in his way he's having his actors deliver it, like and usually that never I I don't have a problem with that in his Mm -hmm. films, but. The, the pacing of it and that stuff too is because it's so quick in the dialogue that yeah. there's very key lines and and how he's playing with um speech and dialogue in it too that where characters will say a, a very kind of common phrase but reversed but it's in a way like he's making a commentary by doing that and it, like it's very purposeful and he's trying to say something through that but it's so quick you miss it and you kind of like i rewatch the end of this film just like three or four times yeah. my second time, just to like make sure I was getting all the, like these kind of key little lines. But yeah. th- this is a thing that I wrote afterwards, like trying okay. to sum up like how I felt about it and what I walked away from it. And uh, hopefully I, I kind of wrote this. I was always like almost was falling asleep. So hopefully it makes sense. Um, I think that the actual Technicolor world of, uh, of the play Asteroid City is, is only um, in our mind constructed of stagecraft and stage direction. The audience, together in the shared moment of um, disbelief in this place, uh, and the characters bring it into existence. When it doesn't, uh, when it doesn't exist at all, we escape there uh, for the running time and forget our grief and our struggle. So I, I've read a multiple hmm. multiple things about him talking about, or like people con- disc- deconstructing this as. Using art as this way to um, kind of forget about the things that you know, because the things that are weighing us down, like Jason Schwartzman's character is dealing with the loss of this person that he's fallen in love with, like the um, the the writer of this play, mm-hmm. uh, Edward Norton's character. So he's trying through the like, and this is, goes back to kind of what you were saying he's through the act of doing this play and trying to discover if he's playing this character correctly as edward norton's character intended he's kind of like trying to make sure that he is going he's he's grieving in the correct way mm-hmm. and through doing this the act of this piece of art he's trying to get over this loss in that whole section where he's the, at the very end where he steps out of the play mm-hmm. and he goes and talks to Adrian Brody and he's asking him am i playing him right am i playing him right he's like you're doing it perfect you're you're doing it exactly like you should you're which means you're grieving how you should and like those little moments were really powerful to me, and the, the the moment right after that, where he steps completely out of the play and is out on the fire with Margot, Margot Robbie. Robbie, that's
0: my favorite scene. Yeah, in that in that storyline. And line. the first time I
1: saw yeah. it, like it almost felt non consequential. Like I just like yeah. threw threw it
0: away. Like especially same thing. It really stood out to me the second time. I mean, it was good the first time. Uh, it was a nice little beat, but it felt more like a break. The second time, it really had this this kind of uh, this central quality to it. Yeah, and especially
1: with that, because the the whole love angle of him with Edward Norton's character is such a quick thing. Yeah, it's like one little scene, and it's played in this very um, emotionally distant way. Almost it, feels like a joke.
0: Almost uh, like a visual gag. Yeah, uh, like oh, wasn't that funny that that just happened Um, because the first time, that's how I Mm. took it. I didn't didn't then map it out as something that was foundational. I just took it as a, like, uh, okay. I
1: didn't didn't take it as a joke, but I didn't take it as foundational either. I just took it as we're just getting little glimpses of the behind the scenes of who these actors are behind, and not thinking that it plays into the larger, you know, narrative of what's being said. And yeah, like that scene with Margot Robbie, like, she's, he's dreaming about her in, in sleep, in in the, in the scene that she was cut from. And, um, and her saying like, you need to say goodbye to me and move on. And in that, like, it's also him saying goodbye to Edward Norton's character. So there's all, there are all these little through lines that really have emotional impact, but it's like, it's just kind of hard to suss them out, Mm -hmm. um, with how it's being played. And I, and I honestly, I, kind of looking forward to continually watching this one, because I think it might become one
0: of his strongest ones for me. I think for people that uh, work on productions and people that act in productions uh, and things like that, I think I think your filmmaking community would respond immediately to this. And I think get it right out of the gate. I think this would be very personal to them because yeah. it's about the people telling the stories rather than the story itself. And so I, I think that is probably much less of a foreign concept to people who actually do it than somebody watching a film who has not acted in a major production or has not acted in several productions and has not used the, the, the career they're in performing to therapeutically deal with things that are going on in their own life. Because but, yeah. y- you read about actors all the time who have a part and then something happens in their personal life. And they either use it or they have to box that up because it gets in the way of what the performance is. And just trying to be two people at once has to be a, a really um, kind of fraught uh, personal dynamic. It's, that, that would be a strange way to go through life knowing that today I'm going to go to work and at work I'm going to be a completely different person. But that person's going to allow me to explore things safely that I wouldn't get to explore in my normal life. I think also,
1: especially from reading other um, dissections of this and what things have with him with Wes, that um, we're on a first name basis, by the oh, way. Yeah, absolutely. But
0: that, as the Screen Actors yeah. Guild you know,
1: <laughs> president, I would be too. Yeah, that the play is kind of a placeholder that mm-hmm. just for art in general that you can use art as a an escape in not feel ashamed of that as just a viewer and other forms Mm -hmm. of art. Like, I I, sure, I do that when I paint or I'm doing music as a way Mm -hmm. to clear my mind. Or if you're writing like a story, writing a book. But just as art in general, like, you you don't have to be that fully attached to the whole, um, you know, (laughs) a stage play or making films or anything. It's just kind of I think it's standing in for art in general as this way to, you know, get through hardship and grief and connection you could connect with characters or a you know, a piece of music.
0: Um I art think that- music has, has a lot of I, I think it provides people with a lot of agency, even if even if you're following music on a page, or even if you're, you know, already locked into what you're doing as an art, and and you just have the lines in front of you to work with. Yeah, I I think it still affords you an enormous amount of control with everything that you put to paper, or everything that comes out of the instrument, or everything that comes out of your mouth. Or there's something about the creative process that even when you're following kind of a chosen track or something you don't have a lot of movement in you still feel an enormous amount of control. And and that's what I saw in this movie is people they're they're enjoying that but then you know especially in the Jason Schwartzman character he is it, it becomes an anxiety mm. because he feels a devotion to he feels a devotion to the creative force, which is the director. He feels a devotion mm. to the character, yeah, as as if the character is real and will somehow be harmed if he does not, uh, you know, elevate his performance to to a level that's deserving. Um, and and so there are all these these different pressures, but at the same time, he has the control and he has the ability to make decisions. Yeah. And really what what you're seeing when he's running around, you know, did I get it right? Is this right? Is this right? It's just natural insecurity. And so it was it was a really interesting way of watching people have control but still insecurity and and try to say something or speak something or discover something while unsure of exactly what's going to be at the end mm-hmm. exactly what they're going to find or or what they're going to learn
1: well that and that goes to the point of like he's like I don't know what he's keep saying I don't know what the point of the play yeah. is I yeah. don't know and he's and he's trying to like why and he's talking about how why does he burn his hand on the griddle yeah. and um and he goes back and sees Adrian Brody and he's like don't worry about that part there you just keep doing it you just keep yeah. doing the thing And that's the whole thing of like, you know, any kind of art, you just keep doing the thing or you keep um, it just as a viewer and watching the thing and enjoying it. Um, There's also this moment at, um, it kind of goes back to what I wrote down with um, Brian Cranston's character at the beginning, where he's talking about like, this is a um, fictional story of a place that never exists and never will it's something like that i'm paraphrasing but that's where i like i was talking about um like this technicolor world um that is kind of only existing in the audience's mind because there that it was something i didn't like that was a that's such a small line at the beginning and you and he's speaking so quickly but it has so much you know, power in the framework of this story, yeah. and also there's this moment—the moment where Jason, like this, was the the key scene for me or or section when when Jason Schwartzman leaves, and you see him step through the door, and you can see the audience out behind him, and that like puts it into perspective that oh yeah, that they're in the you see the wall of the, mm-hmm. the you know a fake stage wall that he walked out of, so he. You see the audience back there, and they're in black and white. And it just puts it into perspective that, oh, yeah, this is, that's all probably in black and white too. But this collective conscious is Mm -hmm. forming this thing in this, this technicolor, beautiful 50s world. And that sits also really well with like that opening shot of that world where you are kind of a, as an audience member where you're, you know, if you were sitting at a play and before the, all the actors sh- come out from the curtain, you're just taking in the set, the scenery, the, the setting. And wondering
0: what it's going to hold for you.
1: Yeah. And yeah. you're kind of starting to paint the picture in your head of like, because you if you go to a play and it can be the crudest set and you start like, you know, making more of it, you start imagining it as this bigger
0: thing. You, you especially if you're going to enjoy it, it has to be more real. Yeah, and than, especially than cardboard and plywood.
1: Yeah, and especially as like you know the actors are introduced yeah. and yeah. they're starting to you know deliver dialogue and you start to also paint that picture and it becomes this communal thing. Um, and like once I started realizing and it's like that kind of stuff about it, it it started really resonating with yeah. me.
0: Yeah, I I just yeah when when I walked away from this even after the second time I I think this is a great film I don't think this is one that that you go to to enjoy in the traditional sense of just you know wow I like Grand Budapest I can throw Grand Budapest in it's doing all kinds of stuff but it yeah. also feels it, it leaves me with this elation mm-hmm. where I just had a good time yeah. watching it. Even if I wasn't trying to dig in and find all the stuff he clearly has there, yeah. I just enjoyed it. This doesn't have as much of that yeah. kind of feeling. It's it's much more cerebral. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I just think the trailer did it a disservice. Uh, all the trailers for Asteroid City did it a disservice by making it feel like it was going to be Grand Budapest-esque. Yeah. And it was not. And and so I I wish... I I just I wish there was a way and I I don't know what that is. I wish there was a way the trailer could have conveyed more of what the film actually is. Yeah. I will say
1: like I think there are a lot of kind of competing sensibilities in it. Mm-hmm. You know, because his visual language is so strong and like precise in what he's trying to do and then to layer on this kind of meta thing um, that is going on outside and in, in behind the scenes and, you know, in the 50s, like um, television set and everything. It almost, that's another aspect of it beginning lost because yeah. it's just these like very, because that visual style is almost the thing. Yeah. And then when you layer that on, it's like another thing I'm supposed to be paying attention yeah. to when it's so bright and
0: colorful. It also, in the opposite direction, it has very, very, very little music. Yeah, and music is such a tone setter, especially in something like a Wes Anderson film, but any film in general. And so, when you remove that that cue, well, especially he always uses music as that yes, cue. He, Very it, emotional. It tells you how to feel. Yeah. It tells you whether yeah. a moment is light and funny or whether it's heavy and dark. Or and and that's missing here, and you're just left to. I, I think if you took this film and you put a bunch of bright, playful music to it, it would play more like a Grand Budapest. I think if you went really dark and morose, it, it would play very differently. But I, I think that's a very – it's its not an absence. It's a very specific choice.
1: Oh, yeah. I think – and it might feel then way too heavy-handed. Maybe, yeah. Like, because yeah. – I mean, you could almost argue that he maybe used that as
0: a crutch before uh, sometimes. But – I don't know. I, yeah. I think it's worth watching. I just oh, yeah. I go into it understanding this is a more cerebral film than, uh, than than you may be anticipating, and, and that's wish, what.
1: I I don't know if I wish I knew that before I went in the yeah. first time, or if that would have
0: helped, or not. But I don't know. I don't know. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, watch it. <laughs> Our next movie is Demon Seed. This is from 1977. This is a movie I had watched a long, long time ago, but then upon watching it this time, I realized no, I had watched a few scenes. Of this movie, yeah, but I did not have a memory of this full movie. Uh, so here it is: Julie Christie plays child psychologist Susan Harris, who lives with her husband Alan, played by Fritz Weaver. Uh, they're they're living in a home operated by a computer program. It's very very quaint and delightful, but. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, when Alan invents Proteus Four, an artificial intelligence system capable of advanced thought, his obsession with technology strains his relationship with Susan. But Susan realizes the true power of her husband's invention when Proteus Four takes her hostage in her own home and plans to—no kidding. Actually, I'm not going to say Don't this. Don't say it because I'm not. I didn't know this. I'm not. It is in the official synopsis, but you know what? Don't read the official synopsis. No. He's got plans, Clint. Um, you you watched this first. Yeah. Uh what, what captured you about this? Because you liked it enough to send it to me and say, have you seen this? Well, this is a film like I feel like I've heard about a mm-hmm. lot, but always or like it
1: pops up on, you know, like around Halloween as like, you know, lists of films, uh, or you know, playlists mm-hmm. or something. And I just, the synopsis, like, I don't know if I had never read the full synopsis because I didn't even know that part mm-hmm. of it was in there. Like, I always read, like, it always just came across to me as a, you know, very, it's going to be a very rudimentary 1970s version of an AI taking over a house. Yeah. And then it's just going to be like a woman- and or a group of people trying to get out Trapped, as, it, as to get it's out. like slamming windows and yeah. stuff, and it just yeah. sounded kind of silly and like like I wasn't going to be very you know captivated by it. That is not this movie. No, <laughs> this movie. uh Can we just go spoilers or do you want, uh, or no? we'll do, do
0: just general impressions okay. and then we got to go spoilers okay, on great. this thing because it is bonkers. All right, great. <laughs> um.
1: So, but this movie. Ended up not being that at all. Mm -hmm. Um, It goes in the most, like, maybe, like, modern? Like, Mm -hmm. I I haven't even seen anything current do this idea. Um, This great sci-fi idea that I never had thought of um, and is so surprising, especially with the setup of this film... That I it just like there's a point in this where I went from, okay, 1970s, we got some really old computers mm-hmm. and stuff running the house. Uh, we have a jerk husband who's leaving his wife, okay, whatever. And then um it just like then it clicks into what this movie's gonna be. And I'm like, oh, I kind of sat up and then I was on board. Mm-hmm. And then it gets into some really great like 1970s practical effects yeah. where it's, I love that little, that kind of time period where it's kind of coming out of the 60s mm-hmm. and some of that's carrying through, but
0: then it's also about to go into the 80s where it's like this middle ground. There's a really ambitious effect in this. Yeah. A very large scale ambitious effect. Yeah. That really, I I rewatched a couple of times just trying to figure out how they did Me it. Me too. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's it's way too early for CG. It's something oh. that that they would use CG in. It's I think it's totally practical. It's it's a hundred percent practical, but it's it's genuinely incredible. Yeah. Uh, to watch and it feels like it has real weight and yeah. danger to it. Yeah. And anyway, uh, this is a a dated dated movie that turns into uh, it sneaks up on you. Yeah. Because when I first started watching this thing, I'm like, oh, Clint. Clint, no. This is this is exactly what I expected from a 1977 movie about AI. <laughs> and and this is exactly where I thought it was going to go. And like you, I'm like, now Clint has me watching this movie where it's just going to be a bunch of locked doors. And mm-hmm. I knew the stupid little wheelchair robot was going to be a thing. And I thought it looked stupid, other than the fact that it was practical. So I was just like, that's the big bad and it, you know i had really written this movie off uh and it, you know how long it, far did you get into it before <laughs> uh, until it starts uh spoilers constructing things in the basement probably mm. that's when i started realizing like oh wait what now and then i retroactively increase my respect for probably the previous half hour before that because mm. I didn't realize that's where it was going uh, but it, it has you know quintessential 70s performances, quintessential 70s look and effects and music and and all these things but then suddenly this movie emerges that is way ahead of its time. I would love to see this thing remade by the right director today doing a really nightmarish, AI, kind of. Uh, it's, it's it would not have the,
1: to be the right, because I can just imagine it going, like, it would get rid of all of the most interesting parts. See, and I'm
0: thinking of like a Cronenberg, oh, uh, yeah. kind of like Crimes of the Future mm. uh, Cronenberg, where just let's keep it bonkers and let's do weird stuff. But even then, I wouldn't want anything reinvented. Because once you get, especially that last half hour, I love every visual in there. Mm-hmm. I love I love the practicality of it. I don't want to see a CG version of of the. Let's just again spoilers. You can jump right in, uh, but the it, it builds itself a form, and it looks like this it's a, metallic like a geometric. It's, um, it's this geometric metallic yeah, uh, it diamond. Folds, un- unfolds. But it starts to unfold, and and at times it's like a serpent. At other times, it's uh, it coils up and it can attack and and crush things and. Uh, it can move uh, believably through spaces and uh, it it poses a real genuine threat. Mm. It's got nice little pointy ends so it's uh you know, and it's just made of metal. Um, but it's it it takes 3D printing to the uh you know the <laughs> nightmare extreme but it's it's just it's got a lot it's I was not expecting a creature feature. Mm. I was not expecting a, a creature feature and I was not expecting the big, reveal of what it actually wants to accomplish. And even in spoilers, I don't want to say what that is.
1: Oh, I'm because going to, I want to talk about you? it. Yeah, okay, go for it. Go for it. Because that was the thing that that like the icing on the cake was the um the form the robot took. Yeah. The AI took. Okay. The thing that really grabbed my attention was it's what it wanted. And what it wanted was to um have this woman bear a child for him. Yeah. And that was, a th- like, that
0: idea was the fascinating part for me. At first, it was, I, I thought it was stupid. Really? I at, loved at it. At first mention, I thought it was idiotic, because it's like, that makes zero sense. <laughs> zero, like, this this movie is going to lose all. But it actually, uh, you know, for a movie that is, if it was being surreal, I could have gone with it, almost like a Titane. mm but this was one where it was really giving you an explanation for everything, almost Star Trek style. And so when it when this when this AI started talking about having a a physical child with this woman, I'm just what? <laughs> what it, how? Uh, you know, and then I got my Star Trek explanation. It was creepy and weird. And I'm like, okay, now I'm back in. I I,
1: I totally there was no Like I had to, you know, wrap my head around how it was going to do. It was like, it was, I was in the sci-fi mode of like, it doesn't have to fully make sense. I I am enjoying this idea yeah. that this thing just wants a physical like form to go out into the world that will be like, you know, can kind of disappear and do yeah. what it's bidding or be it's like a avatar to experience the world. And I love that idea. Um, yeah. Like, but like the things as it was getting more into the visual effects side of it, as it went on, like that was it went from, I'm really enjoying this i this premise and idea that they're setting up, to, um, okay, they, it took another level mm-hmm. when it gets into the visual uh, um, effects
0: side of it. I think I have um, less patience with that 70s style oh. and 80s style. Uh, I, I have a much harder time getting past the dated look of things. Um, I've been watching a bunch of 70s mm-hmm. films
1: recently, and I... I actually loved them just as like this time capsule of
0: mm-hmm. seeing that that time period. So that part never bothers yeah. me. My mind immediately takes what it was and imagines what it would be if it was made the exact same way by the same people today. Mm. But even then, that thing would be CG. And it would be it completely would be disappointing. Yeah. Uh, it, it would lack just that wow fact. Even, even looking at it practically, you know it's not real as far as it's not like there's this computerized hunk of metal actually swinging its you know serpent trunk through a house, you know its effects, but it's so visually real and weighty and believable. Yeah, it never it, feels it just, like it's impressive. It's it, it's an impressive sight. Well,
1: it never feels like it's like this arm on ropes that's yeah. being puppeted around. It like actually feels like it's unfolding and yeah. folding back up around like. The people and like doing different like and i love how it just takes different yeah. forms and it's it's such a cool visual it reminded me of interstellar in that yeah. robot um in that kind of exploration of yeah. what a robot like yeah. can be is always fun to me instead and it, of just your humanoid yeah it doesn't have to be humanoid yeah. Yeah. and i love that kind of juxtaposition that The form that he is capable of taking is so mathematical and geometric, but he is trying to strive for, you know, having this human hybrid go out like that. That's what he's going for. And that whole aspect, like I just completely changed the relationship between him and her in in seeing his plan come into effect. Like that was so much more interesting to me than woman trying to escape AI house. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I I would definitely recommend watching this one, especially if you're a fan of old seventies horror. This is probably one you've missed. This, uh, or sci-fi horror, whichever. Yeah. Um, but it it really has a lot more to it than I was anticipating. And so if you like me have that first kind of impression as you're as you're watching it, hold on, stick with it. Uh, cause this thing, this thing goes some really good places i mean it's pretty
1: kind of early for that kind of idea in yeah. this form of a film like yeah. almost i don't know it's gone it's been in like you know straight sci-fi from that time period as far as like um like Kubrick did it and everything but mm-hmm. just as like kind of this sci-fi hybrid horror film for like that i feel like this was pretty early for that yeah. um this will definitely be on my like uh, favorite finds of the year mm-hmm. list. Like, I was pleasantly surprised yeah. by this one.
0: All right. Uh, our third and final movie for today is Lemon. And Lemon is from 2017. It stars uh, Brett, Brett Gelman, Gelman uh, mm-hmm. who, if you don't know the name, you would definitely know the face uh, as Isaac. Uh, after Isaac's blind girlfriend walks out on him, his life goes into free fall, and he directs an unhinged staging of Chekhov's The Seagull, attends the Passover Seder from hell, and attempts to woo a new flame. Uh, this also stars uh, Michael Sarah, Judy Greer, Gillian uh, Jacobs, uh, or Gillian, uh Long, and Martin Starr. Clint, what did you think of Lemon? Well, I watched this movie— um
1: uh, last year sometime for the first time. Um, this is also directed by or um uh, by uh uh Junkisa Bravo, who she wrote it with Brett Gelman. So they were they were actually married for quite a while. Um so that I that kind of like is fun to think about when yeah. you think about the the characters in this film. Um but this was all like this is kind of I think it has like a fifty-some percent on Rotten Tomatoes, maybe even less. Um, I am quite a big fan of Brett Gelman. Like, there's something about his performances and his – just his, like, comedic sensibility that I – he can just show up on screen and I will instantly Mm -hmm. just start laughing at him. (laughs) Yeah, Like, there's something about him that I just find instantly funny, but also kind of, like, he can – I don't know – bridge this gap between very funny and sympathetic and kind of sad, <laughs> um, in, in this really fun way. But for some reason, this movie really just grabbed my attention and I love just the delivery of everything mm-hmm. in it. It's so, it's in that like kind of, um, uh, what was that film? The, um, the, the karate, uh, with, Jesse Eisenberg. Um, the Art of Self-Defense. Art of Self-Defense. And it's, it's like this um, deadpan delivery style. Yeah. And um, But this one kind of goes even farther than that as far as like everyone is so – playing it so straight and flat. But also the directing of scenes and interactions between, between people are so like curt and short and like they don't even wait for people to answer or like – um, answer a question or to respond they'll just move on to the next thing and like even scenes are cut too short like there, there's like moments where like gillian jacob's character is continuing to talk or ask a question and it just cuts and like and almost in the same sense like at like the people's like or like Brett Gelman's character is willing to listen to her. Like he's like, I'm done with you. I'm done with this scene. So we're done. We're on to the next thing. But I, I was just amused by like all of that and the um just some some genuinely funny
0: moments in this film. Yeah. Um yeah what did you think of this? i hated this guy uh it's it's a fun movie uh, it's fine uh, <laughs> to to steal a phrase no i I love him I love the cast i love uh some of the dialogue and stuff uh just some of the the gross humor or or different things like that just felt a little on the nose and got obnoxious to me and i i didn't particularly i mean you're not supposed to find him very likable i didn't find him very likable uh at no fault of uh of um what's his face, Ugh, whose name just literally, thank you, <laughs> literally keeps slipping my mind. Uh, I think everybody here is doing a really good job. And I, I laughed. It was not a movie where, you know, people think it's funny. And I sat there just staring at the screen. I, I had a good time. It just, in the end, I I didn't feel like I enjoyed my time with these people hmm. as much as I wanted to. Hmm. Uh, and it had some really big laughs. But at the in in the end, I just, I was left kind of hollow with Okay, so what am I supposed to take from from this, other than you know the surreal, absurdist kind of whatever romp hmm. that it's supposed to be, um, or that it is? Uh, it just it didn't. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. I got a hundred. I knew. I knew deep in my soul that you would say every word you just said. <laughs> uh, and I just, I knew the whole time I was watching it, I was like, Clint is enjoying this way more than I am.
1: Yeah, I've watched this multiple times. I yeah. mean, I had Jenny watch it with me this time. She enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I If the characters are kind of meant to be like unlikable but also they're the actors are good enough at pulling off that being funny yeah i'm totally fine with that like especially i mean everyone around like yeah he's unlikable but everyone around him is playing this unlikable um kind of stereotypical you know like michael Sarah is this theater guy who's so up his own butt that it's it's funny in like and it's kind of a caricature of that person, yeah. and everyone's kind of like that in a way. Like the going to the the seder and everything yeah. that that just I can I could relate to that situation just in a um, you know having to spend time with relatives yeah. and yeah. just not being comfortable even just in something that should be kind of comfortable mm-hmm. because you're so
0: familiar with those people, but yeah. I I wasn't upset that I watched it. It's not not enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. It 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 just it for me. I knew uh, that you would not like it. Well, I was hoping you would
1: find some enjoyment in it. I
0: I did. That's why I'm saying it's not not enjoyable. Yeah. It's, but it's also not enjoyable. It for me, it (laughs) was like there was enjoyment to be had, but overall, it was not enjoyable. Is a full film, mm. but it's eighty five minutes. So, yeah.
1: but that that's I yeah. love that even in eighty five minutes, like because of the choice of you know cutting scenes so quickly and like the dialogue is so kind of abrupt and sharp, yeah. um when it's delivered, that it makes sense that it's eighty five minutes. Like I feel like if they had decided. We're going to fit an hour and a half film into 60 minutes they could have because not as like it would have been the same amount of content, but it's just in the delivery alone oh. of everything. And I, I there's not many, I can't think of another example of a movie playing with that kind of like, you know, delivery mm-hmm. and, and editing um, to make kind of a comedic
0: point. I thought that was kind of fun. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so Asteroid City, more cerebral than than you might anticipate, but definitely worth watching. It's got a lot going for it, and I'm looking forward to watching it more. Mm-hmm. So is Clint. Uh, uh, what was our second? Oh, yeah, Demon Seed. <laughs> Demon Seed, super weird ahead of its time, 1977 flick. Uh, definitely go in blind if you know nothing about it, and just have a little bit of patience if it just feels dated at first, because... or you might be like mean and you enjoy 1970s films a little bit more Uh, and then finally Lemon uh, which Clint and I kind of split on but you know just in sort of a fine way for me it put a little bit of a sour taste in Ken's mouth (laughs) let's see what Sinetron has for us this week let's spin it
1: can i got one i'm super excited about oh okay but this is something that we've both separately talked about okay uh, and like i think in what you're watching about and we um but never in a longer conversation and this is resurrection from
0: 2022 oh yes this is another movie that goes in different directions than you would think. yeah Okay, uh, 100% on board to rewatch this. This was a, a delightful surprise, and uh, I remember from both of us, and I think if memory serves, both of us thought the other one would not like it. Yeah. And so we spent probably weeks just not mentioning it to each other, not purposely, just it it wasn't on the tip of my mind to suggest to you and vice versa. And then it finally came up in conversation and we realized uh, how much both of us enjoyed this. So. Yeah. I was okay.
1: blown away by yeah, this film. Yeah. Like it, it, I think it was on my, you know, top 20 best of or something. It's, it was, It's on
0: a couple of best 10 uh, lists yeah, from like, 2022. And I
1: can totally see that. I, yeah. I, I thought it was so surprising yeah. and um well done so all right let's no talk. i'm
0: i'm all about watching it again that's awesome yeah uh and that'll give us a chance to actually talk about it because we should have i i think if we had just compared notes we would have 100 percent talked about that yeah right when it came out um because it sort of flew under the radar i didn't know anything about it i didn't just either i just down and watch it one night yeah and, me too ooh. Uh, all right, so this has been episode 86 of Cinebabel. You can find us at cinebabelcast.com. You can find us at Cinebabel on Instagram. And uh, we're on Threads now. Uh, maybe. We'll see if that—we're <laughs> on there. Uh, and so hop by Threads and search for Cinebabel. You'll find us. And I don't know. it's It's some sort of Twitter thing. So honestly, I'll probably post on it for about two weeks and then give up.
1: Or before we know it, you'll have 8,000 <laughs> followers on there, just
0: maybe to, uh, reposting pictures. Who knows? I, I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, that was, I, I have made all kinds of inroads and connections to all of these artists. I think I, I, I this was the wrong direction. <laughs> it's not, I mean, they're fine people. I love artists and stuff, but I was, I was trying to build podcast listeners, and somehow I, I joined an art community. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: like maybe that's what this should be—is just you running a Instagram like yeah. like connecting artists together, yeah. and the podcast just goes by the yeah. wayside. We
0: can just we can interview different artists, and because <laughs> it's so exciting to talk about line work on <laughs> uh, an audio only format. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been episode 86. Uh, We hope you enjoyed, and uh, you'll hear from us next week. I believe we have a Cinebabel single coming.
1: Is that a promise or a threat? uh, I
0: I think it's a promise. Hmm. I believe we're going to check out something in the theater and uh, have a little bit of fun. So, Cinebabel single. Hmm. See you next time, Clint. Bye, Ken.